are entering the Freedom Hut. Well, it may not be a witch hunt, but a lot of people at the FBI are getting fired for witch hunting, aren't they? Peter Strzok, the latest to be ousted. We'll talk about what he's doing and how he's becoming a part of hashtag resistance. Also, the protest over the weekend. I was there, my friends. I saw it. The media doesn't want to tell you what happened. They don't want to tell you about what those protesters were saying. I'll tell you what they said. I've got audio for you, and I'll break down why the media is lying about it. That plus a little bit of Omarosa talk and a whole lot more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. It's about time. I mean, the American people deserve an FBI that's not biased. They deserve an an FBI that's going to focus on the truth. Obviously, Peter Strzok wasn't that individual. And I think it's important to understand he just wasn't any old agent at the FBI. He was deputy head of counterintelligence. More importantly, he was the lead agent on both the Clinton investigation and on the Trump-Russia investigation. So you now have at the FBI, Neil, something I've never seen in any federal agency. James Comey fired. Deputy Director McCabe fired. Jim Rubicki, former chief of staff, has left the FBI. Jim Baker, chief counsel at the FBI, was demoted, then fired. Lisa Page, FBI counsel, demoted, then left. And then, of course, you now have Peter Strzok, who was demoted and now fired today. These are the six key, key people at the top of the FBI who ran the Clinton investigation and who launched and ran the Trump-Russia investigation. I've never seen anything like that in any other federal agency. Hooray for an agency that finally did something right, which is recognized there's no place in the FBI for somebody whose bias, whose conduct, whose statements show that they were not willing to be fair and that, in fact, they compromise the very integrity or bring into question the integrity of the FBI. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. A lot of big uh, breaking news today. And we are going to go on a deep dive together into what really happened at the so-called anti-fascism rally this weekend. All the violence, all the bad stuff on the streets that the police had to deal with, surprisingly enough, uh, had nothing to do with the white nationalists who were there, because there were like five of them. I mean, actually, there were 20 or so. I'm not exaggerating. There were about 20 of them. All the smoke bombs that were thrown, the punches thrown, the pushing of violence, it came from the anti-fascism protesters. We will get there. Media move way. They blew past that story so fast. They don't want to touch it. We'll do all of that and more. But first, this, uh, this firing of FBI agent Peter Strzok. There's a, a meme that you'll see out there. It gets shared a lot. Where, well, they'll show all of the different people that the Mueller probe has either brought charges against or have gotten a conviction against. And they'll just list them all out. And they'll put like, you know, 17 Russians. I mean, they're not really, and that's a counterintelligence problem, not a a pure criminal problem, but they know they're, but they're just trying to pad the stats there. So 17 Russians, and then it's Manafort tax fraud, and then Flynn, Papadopoulos, uh, Van Vander, whatever his name is, the, uh, the Dutch guy, lawyer who got basically a few people lying under this very aggressive probe. And, and, but they list this out and say, where do you think this is a witch hunt? Doesn't look like a witch hunt to me. Okay. So that's the game they want to play. Someone explain to me 
what the heck is going on at the FBI when Comey, McCabe, Page, Strzok, Rebecca, you heard all those names, fired or demoted, ignominiously ended careers, folks. And we're not talking about a few people in the FBI with its tens of thousands of employees who just happened to get into some trouble. We're talking about the most powerful people in the FBI, all of whom were directly involved in what seems to now be clearly a concerted effort to stop Trump from winning the presidency by our own law enforcement and intelligence agencies. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah, Jim Jordan, who started off the show, they're talking all these names. He left off some important names, by the way. What about Sally Yates? Fired. She's a hashtag resistance person. Brennan, if he were still the CIA director, I promise you would have been fired. He's a hashtag resistance mainstay. Clapper would have been fired if he had tried to stay on or if he had stayed on as director of national intelligence. So what's going on here, folks? Why is it that the FBI is finding cause for termination, perhaps even in the case of McCabe and Comey, cause for criminal charges against people who were just doing, they were just doing their jobs. You heard Peter Strzok, he kind of was up there talking like this when he's giving his testimony, and he never did anything wrong. He just wants you to know that he was trying to defend the country. It actually sounds a lot like Peter Strzok if you go back and listen to his testimony. You know, there's something going on here, folks. It's obviously rotten. When you talk about the swamp, and I know I joke around about the swamp, but there was a virus that had infected the upper reaches of the federal bureaucracy, law enforcement, and intelligence agencies under Obama that they really thought that they were doing a public service. And, and I, I almost feel sorry for them because I, I think that they believe this. They believe that trying to throw an election and trying to overrule the will of the American people and pick their president for them, I think that Strzok and Page and others, they thought they were doing a public service. And we see this from their their text messages. We see this from the information that's already come out. And there's no other explanation for their actions. There's no other way to look at what they've done and come away and have some understanding of it, other than they, they must have really believed that Trump was a clear and present ta- a clear and present danger to the United States, and therefore they were justified in extraordinary, extra legal measures to stop him from being president. And then once it had happened, once the unthinkable had occurred, well, then they had to find something to justify all the stuff that they had done. Right? Once they had already crossed over to the dark side, there's no going back. So they might as well try to justify why they've done it, and that's what happened after Trump's election with the Mueller probe and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, that's right. Struck, fired. Yates uh, was fired. She hasn't gotten as much attention. I've been telling you all along, she just strikes me as as a, a, a central figure in the hashtag resistance effort from the federal government, always has. Uh, her, her grandstanding on what was, remember now, folks, the, the Supreme Court said, yeah, actually the president does have the right to do this so-called Muslim ban. So, you know, you're the attorney general. You're going to refuse, acting attorney general, you're Yates, you're going to refuse to carry out the uh, 
the policy of, of the president because you don't like it? Because that's what she did. It wasn't unconstitutional. It wasn't unethical. She just didn't like it. She didn't like it. So she, she refused to do it. And she insisted on being terminated from it. An act of pure grandstanding from a lifelong snide bureaucrat. And then there's one other name that has not yet gotten nearly the attention that I think it should in this. Now that Strzok has been fired, which he should have been a long time ago, now we have to look at Orr, Bruce Orr. Bruce Orr is less known to us because he doesn't do public interviews. We haven't really seen him in in fiery testimony or anything before Congress. He's been keeping a relatively low profile. His name comes up, though, time and again. In fact, my colleague here at the Hill, John Solomon, wrote a piece just last week about how Bruce Orr, the number four person in the entire Department of Justice, an incredibly senior and powerful bureaucrat, was a true believer in Christopher Steele and Christopher Steele's mission of stopping Donald Trump. Or was having meetings with him, or was bringing him in front of DOJ, and then after he was fired by the FBI, or wanted to bring him back. This just came out in the last week. I wanted to bring him back into the investigation, use his services again. Oh come on, no one's got no one's got sources like Chris Steele does. You'll notice that they've stopped, folks, with the whole oh the Trump Tower thing was illegal. The Trump Tower thing was illegal. You know why they've stopped with that? Because there's no way to make the Trump Tower meeting illegal without making Hillary's Christopher Steele Fusion GPS Russian fishing expedition also illegal. And while Hillary got to live by a separate set of rules on the emails, I don't think they'd get away with indicting Trump for uh, taking a thing of value from foreigners or wanting to take a thing, which is not even a crime in and of itself. That wouldn't even last constitutional scrutiny. And not then go after Hillary for doing the same thing from foreigners. Oh, but she paid them for it. Usually paying people to do things for you that's illegal is worse, right? But no, no, with Hillary, she paid for it. Hello? I paid. It was expensive. So she's got all that going on. Uh, You're going to see more of Bruce Orr's name. I think he's the next one. I think he's going to get fired. That's right. I think Bruce Orr's going to get fired. His wife, Nellie Orr, was a Fusion GPS employee. These are not coincidences. We see the connections here. As I like to say, we see the connective tissue. It's very obvious that there was this cabal and they were working within the DOJ and FBI against Trump, completely abusing their prosecutorial discretion, completely abusing their investigative authorities. And once you start to add on to this, The State Department piece, and this is where I think we're going to need a lot more answers. This is where I don't think we've seen even a fraction of what really went on. Then you're going to see what the what the full extent of this anti-Trump collusion from within our own government really was. Hillary Clinton was allowed to run the State Department under Obama as as her own fiefdom. She brought in her own people. She, you know, the Obama administration, President Obama himself was pretty hands off. He really gave not just U.S. foreign policy to Hillary, which is part of why it's a disaster, but also gave the ability to really 
mold and shape the State Department as she saw fit. It was her place. It was her prerogative. And there's all this stuff now. You're just seeing the, the early stages of it. Of Well, Christopher Steele, he had connections to the State Department. Well, you know, who else was pushing stuff there? Don't believe, I do not believe for a second that Hillary Clinton, with all of her connections, all of her cronies and leave-behinds at State, who were crying when she lost the election, who have been crying. These are adults, folks, that show up to do a job for the United States, for the American people, and they cry at their desks. This has been reported because they're so sad about Trump because, like, he's such a bully. And, like, Trump says, like, so many mean things. And I'm just like, like, why? Like, he's he's just orange and so mean, and I hate it. Those kinds of people at the State Department would have had access to classified information, would have had contacts abroad, and would have had a very clear, vested interest in doing everything they could to stop Trump. So I, I think that's the, uh, and that's part of the urgency for the uh, Democrats to take the House. Yes, I know, they just want the House because they want to be back in power. But there's also a, a sense of that they need to get to this stuff. They need to get this done now. Because I think that you're going to find out a lot of the rot that was at FBI and DOJ also extended to the State Department. And that's why you've had, think of all the defections you've had. It doesn't make sense, folks. These are bureaucrats. They're generally pretty, you know, a lot of lethargic punch-in, punch-out folks. I know you can get mad at me. I don't care. It's true. I spent a lot of time with people at State Department. I, I heard from a from a former ambassador who became a mentor of mine, a very senior ambassador in the United States government, he said if State Department employees spent as much time complaining about who was paying for their home, different home expenses as they did on, you know, if they spent as much time worried about that as, as they would worry about U.S. foreign policy, we would solve all of our problems in a heartbeat. A lot of navel-gazing and a lot of self-licking ice cream cone stuff going on at the State Department. Those people who have been in for, you know, in some cases 20 years, they're all going to leave because they can't handle Trump. It's not like Trump is calling all the shots at the, at the embassies abroad. Well, what's the what's the problem? I think some of them left because they had to get out of government. So it'd be easier to keep a low profile, keep their heads down and hopefully stay out of the spotlight. If information comes out that the State Department was actually also trying to push this narrative to reporters uh, from Christopher Steele and and working to undermine President Trump. I, I think that there were aspects of state that were also... You've seen some reporting on this, but I think it goes a lot deeper. I really do. Oh, what? You think You think the, the CIA director is like a hashtag resistance lunatic? Okay, former CIA director Brennan. You think that there was nobody at state who was like that? Come on. They live for this stuff. Picking up foreign rumors about the incoming Republican president that they could use to trash him. Keep an eye on that one. Uh, we've got to get into this um, this protest from other weekend. I've got a lot to share with you on this because uh, I was there, and there was so much dishonesty in the reporting over this. There is so much. Uh, I mean, I, I don't. What do you call it when somebody only gives you a part of a story? Is that fake news? Is it is it just dishonest news? Because they were very clearly editorializing with what they showed you and what they didn't from this protest over the weekend. And and it is worth asking how it is that a protest with 20 people scheduled becomes a national media event with five different police agencies coordinating to get those 20 people into Washington, D.C., 
with every news organization I can think of sending reporters to cover it. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe we should look into this some more, and we will. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK-TEAM. Stay with me. We'll be right back. I wanted to move on from the uh, struck firing, but I, I just I got a, a note here for you, friends, uh, that he's already got an anti-Trump Twitter account going. This is Peter Strzok, now formerly of the FBI, before they kicked his butt out the door. And he's got a GoFundMe page seeking 150 Gs, 150 grand, because he says his legal bills. You know, Andy McCabe set up a GoFundMe page, got a half a million dollars. You see, folks, being... Hashtag resistance does pay the bills. What have I always told you about the left? Their their smartest policy. They're like the the Democrats are like the Lannisters. You can hate them. You know you can't trust them, but they always pay their debts. Not the national debt, but they always pay their their debts to people. Uh, and that's a very powerful thing. If you go down on the field of ideological battle in service of the Democrat Party, you will be taken care of. If you are a Republican or a conservative and you go down, whether they destroy your business, they destroy your reputation, or they throw you in prison for some trumped up nonsense, it's kind of like, well, you know, I mean, maybe he did something wrong. I don't know. I mean, conservatives, we are, I, we need to be, call each other out on this. We are wimps over this one. We do not protect our own. McCabe got a half a million dollars after lying multiple times and getting fired from the FBI. People just gave him money because they love him so much. Why? Because they know that he hates Trump. They know he's an anti-Trumpster. Same thing with Strzok. But I wonder how long it'll be before Strzok. Producer Mike, you want to give me odds on this? How long before uh, Strzok is on either CNN or MSNBC? Like, I was just doing the best I could to stop Trump. What do you uh, think? About 20 minutes. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe tonight. Maybe by the time we finish this broadcast, Strzok will already be there. I just love my country, so I tried to throw an election. Um, we've got to talk about this Antifa stuff from yesterday i saw it folks here here's a short version the media is lying to you about what really happened there because i saw it he's holding the line for america buck sexton is back That's just a little bit of what was going on at that so-called anti-fascism protest or anti-hate. That's really what they like to call it, an anti-hate protest. I went over there because I live in the swamp now. I'm technically a swamp creature, so I wanted to spend some time and see what's really going on. And wow, my friends, it was a remarkable, a, a remarkable example of just how deep the media bias goes 
how they are pushing narratives, not based in the facts or what's going on, but based on what they want the what they want the facts to be. And it was so preposterous reading because I was there and I was seeing the media coverage. A lot of love Trump's hate and no fascism and we just want to come together. And, you know, I, I went through a it, originally it was 34 and then a 43 photo array that the Washington Post had put together. That was kind of its official slideshow of the protest. Forty three photos, folks. Not a single, not a single photo in that array uh, dealt uh, dealt with the signs that were all over the place calling for a revolution, calling for overthrowing the system and the American government, saying that America was never great, saying that all cops are racist. By the way, that's a chant. Producer Mike, grab that one. I want to. I've got. We got more chants. All cops are racist. That was a chant. That was a chant in Charlottesville as well as in Washington D.C. over the weekend. So that was clearly planned. And this was thousands and thousands of people versus a little tiny group of twenty white nationalist losers. That's what they are. They're losers. They want attention. This is the equivalent, folks, of the media holding a massive uh, counter, you know, covering a massive counter rally and being there. There There were 101 reporters to white nationalists yesterday. I'm not even exaggerating. I mean, there were reporters everywhere. See them all with their little microphones and everything else. Imagine, I mean, you could do this with any number of groups. You could do this with... Uh, with the Westboro Baptist Church and just give them blanket flood the zone media coverage and say, oh my gosh, look at this Christian sect that's overtaking America that that is saying that, you know, troops are dying because of, of homosexuality in this country. They could do that, but that would be editorial malpractice because the Westboro Baptist Church is a bunch of idiotic losers And they're not important and they're not powerful and they should not be given a bigger platform in the media than the news warrants. Right. And there's there was another I think they're called the real Israelites. I used to see them in New York sometimes. They were uh, uh, they were black guys who would stand on the street and read from uh, read from the Bible and yell about, uh, you know, how the white man is the devil and all this stuff. And they had they had a show for a while, I think, on public access. Idiots, clowns, not to be taken seriously. But there were a few dozen of them, and they were pretty well known in New York City. But you, you wouldn't act like there was some national scourge, like we're, a, we're about to fall into the anarchy of the real Jews are black movement or whatever. I think they're called the true Israelites. Mike, do you know what I'm talking about? You ever see these guys? Yeah, right? That, yeah, they're, they're, they're a thing that people know about. Wouldn't do that. And, and yet what happened yesterday was you had all of this talk about, oh, the, we have to commemorate the anniversary of Charlottesville and the rise of the alt-right and white nationalism and all this stuff. And you got a, uh, a handful of morons show up. No one knows what, the, no one cares what they're saying. No one even really knows what they're saying. I had a hard time finding, just so I could see what they're doing, the white nationalist pen, because they were penned in uh, with, with huge police presence around them. And you just think, well, you know, what is this? What is the 
psychology of the press, what is their their political bias such that they think this is so worthy of massive media coverage, that the that the white nationalists were so worthy of massive media coverage. And what I would just add into this, keep in mind, is, you know, they do this with David Duke, too. Every election cycle, the one of the favorite gotcha games that Democrats like to play is asking a Republican, do you denounce David Duke? I, you don't you never see David Duke. And otherwise, you never hear about this guy. You know, he's just a racist clown and a loser. But they'll they'll trot him back out. And even if you say, yeah, I denounce him. Well, why do you have to denounce David Duke? That seems kind of weird. Why are we even talking about him on my show? That's what, why. Do you, oh, wow. David Duke, huh? Uh, so you're denouncing David Duke, you Republican candidate. You see, they try to they try to dirty you up with that. If you're a Republican, it's a it's just such a smear tactic. But unfortunately, with a lot of idiot libs, it works. The same thing with white nationalism. The all right, I've been warning for a long time that they were they're trying to create a tremendous amount of fear around the alt right, and then beyond that. Uh, to create this perception of the alt-right as what all conservative media was turning into. And it's just fear-mongering. It's fear-mongering because otherwise they, they can't win the argument in front of the American people. Otherwise, the, you know, the Democrats will have to actually come up with policies and solutions, and they don't have that. So what do they offer you? Well, there's a, a terrible, terrible thing happening in this country called the, the rise of the alt-right. And who gets to determine what is alt-right, who is alt-right? Oh, the media. Isn't that, isn't that clever? Isn't that useful for them? So as I was saying, there were no, there were no uh, media outlets that were showing the signs that were anti-cop, viciously anti-cop. We'll get into the anti-cop component of this in a moment. No signs about the revolution and, you know, what's the solution? Revolution. What do we do with the system? Overthrow it. Although that second one I am paraphrasing because theirs was catchier than that. Uh, but I heard them saying this. I have audio of them saying it. Um, and, and I, I want to also note that, you know, this, this whole storyline, there's so much going on here. You know, Antifa hates cops and not just the Antifa guys wearing the, all the black and everything. Cause they were there and they threw some smoke bombs and they, and they hit people. But the whole protest yesterday was supposed to be opposing white nationalists, opposing Nazis and fascism. So really it was a counter protest, but it was an Antifa protest. With some of the street paramilitaries of Antifa there and their little black get-ups, you know, with the, the masks and the head-to-toe gear and everything, they were all black, head-to-toe. Makes it harder. They, they think it makes them look cool, but also makes them harder to identify when they engage in vandalism and destroy property. Uh, but, you know, journalists have been talking so much recently about how, one, of course, they're indispensable, right? I mean, they're the... You know, yeah, sure, we, we need, like, the Navy and the Marines and the Army, but, like, we really need CNN. How else will we survive as a republic, sir, without CNN? I think we'll be okay. Thanks, though. Um, but they, they've been talking about Trump's rhetoric and saying that it, inspi- that it makes them fearful. It makes them afraid. And what I would just want to point out here is that there were journalists... Just like in Portland a couple of weeks ago, there were journalists who were attacked, physically brutalized. Uh, Their cameras ripped out of their hands, their gear destroyed in Charlottesville and in D.C. by left-wing so-called anti-fascist protesters. 
anti-hate protesters, no less. And journalists just pretend like it didn't happen for the most part. No coverage of it at all. Not, not, I mean, the, the Washington Post, as I said, their photo array was so dishonest, and I'm not guessing, I saw, okay? They were picking out the signs that were specifically anti-Trump and seemed a little more hippie-ish and, you know, anti-hate and forgetting all the signs of radical, progressive, authoritarian, violence-inducing craziness. Because there was a lot of that stuff, folks. You did not have to look very far for it. It was all over the place. And they just don't want to talk about it. They just didn't want the American people to see what was really going on there because they like to play this game of the crazies are on the right. The real crazies are all on the right. It's just not true. And it's not fair that they take this approach. It's not fair that they present the news narrative in this way. Um, they attacked reporters. In fact, here we have audio of, of one of these. Le- Remember, all the violence all came from the left wing over the, over this past weekend. The arrests all came from the all involved left wing activists. The really nasty cursing and screaming and left wing activists, based on what I saw and what's been reported, I haven't seen anything otherwise. Is that the sense you got from the week? No, they kept saying, "Oh, it kind of fizzled." Fizzled, let's just move on. Oh, no, no, I don't want to just move on. Because we saw what the left really is this past weekend. We saw who they really are. Was there a lot of support? Were there were there thousands of, of white nationalists gathered together and getting a lot of, you know, getting a lot of play from conservative media and everything else about, oh, look, no. 20 or so idiots. At most, you can get 20 idiots who believe anything who want to go protest somewhere. This is completely insignificant. But thousands and thousands of people proclaiming that they are against hate, who are screaming in, in police officers' faces, calling them racists and murderers, who are spitting on police officers, who are attacking people they disagree with, and attacking journalists. And I thought journalists like, Jim Acosta is so worried. Like, I was at a Trump rally and I felt unsafe. Like, oh my gosh. There was like a a woman in her 60s with a MAGA hat on and she was so scary. And we're all supposed to go, oh no, the First Amendment's under assault. What are we going to do? You know what is really under assault? Journalists, when they get too close to anti-fascist protesters. They're really under assault. Here's some audio of it. Play 14. That's right. Attack that, that you kind of got the sense there. Attack the camera, attack the journalists, call them snitches. You see, because they don't really want the country to know about their left wing heroics, their left wing self-styled activism. Because the people, the American people would reject it because it's 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 moronic, it's grotesque. This is the modern Democratic Party, though, folks. They believe this stuff. They believe that a political revolution is necessary if not an all-out revolution. They believe that the cops are racist who murder black men for sport. They believe that Trump is actually part of a uh, Aryan nation, Russian conspiracy to take over the country. I mean, they have mainstreamed this crazy. And they wonder why we don't get into all, oh my gosh, Trump lied about what he had for breakfast yesterday. What are we going to do? 
But I really want to dig into I wrote about this today on the hill.com. Why do the anti-fascist protesters hate the cops so much? Or I should have said really a better title would have been now that I think about it, why do the anti-hate protesters hate the cops so much? That would have been a better title. I just realized that now. Damn it, Buck. Uh, and I'll, I have some answers for you on that when we come back. Stay with me. All kinds of races, new better faces. 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 Who the f*** you protect? Who the f*** you serve? Who the f*** we serve? Fascist you, f*** you, f*** you. That was all directed at cops, folks. The police who were at the uh, protest ensuring the First Amendment rights of all people there. That was all directed at them. I saw a woman walk up to a line of police officers, uh, not that it matters, but a diverse group of police officers, and just yell, F you, F you, F you, in their faces. What's that all about, folks? What does that have to do with being against hate in Charlottesville? What does that have to do with being against Confederate monuments or against the alt-right or whatever it may be? And I asked the question in a, in a piece today, why do the anti-fascist protesters hate the police so much. And it's because this is the truth of the left. They are violent. They are deranged. They cannot handle the world as it is. And they cannot deal with a successful Trump presidency, which is what is going on right now. They just can't deal with it. Uh, They just can't deal with it. I saw it and, and it was... A, a prominent part of the protest group yesterday. They're marching around with anti-police signs, anti-police banners. And why didn't that get any coverage? All cops are racist. That's what the march was saying. You know, my uncle's a cop, lifelong, now retired. I worked with cops. I know a lot of law enforcement listens to this program. Why should you all have to sit around and just listen to that in silence? I don't mean the ones who were there. They were just doing their jobs. Yeah, they have to take it. Okay, they the First Amendment, I get it, but All the rest of us have to pretend that the the only bad guys, this is what they want you to believe, the only bad guys were the 20 people who were in that protected, penned-in square yesterday who were the white nationalists. What about the guys who were wearing black and head-to-toe who were attacking reporters? What about the people that were marching, screaming, all cops are racist and they're racist murderers? Are, Are they, is that a positive message? Is that good? Is that fair? Where was the media coverage? I saw it. I have photos. I have audio. Did you see that covered in the New York Times? Did you see that covered in the Washington Post? Was CNN spending? Oh, no. No, no, it was a fizzle. It didn't really, nothing really happened yesterday. It was a peaceful protest, anti-hate. Let's move on. They're liars, folks. They're liars. They're trying to pander to their own audiences and also pander to their sense of progressive left-wing superiority. And so they just do a little bit of editing. You know, they didn't want to give you the protest as it was. They wanted to give you the protest as they would like to pretend it was but i was there 
So I know what was going on. And people were making a mockery of themselves. Thousands of them making a mockery of themselves. And yeah, they were a bunch of idiot white nationalists too. But there weren't thousands of them. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news. And disseminating information. With actionable intelligence. One small Make Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Great to have you here with me in the Freedom Hut. So I wasn't the only conservative uh, who was running around yesterday trying to figure out what was going on at this rally. Uh, our buddy from last week's Freedom Hut podcast, Benny Johnson, was also out there. I want we, we got Benny actually joining us via phone in a second. But first, I want to play for you some of the uh, interview that he was able to do, some of the interviews he was able to do with some of these. Remember, these are, quote, anti-hate protesters, folks. That's how they were being described by all the mainstream media, all the big J serious fancy journos this is what uh this is what that's what they were saying and, and this is what benny was able to pick up play clip 10 what'd you do if donald trump showed up at the front murder him murder him for the people yo he's america's caesar except he's a head so you gotta take him down trump if it came down to it and it was a group effort we'd have to do him like a daffy you'd come up you would do that what's that if i get a tattoo him up i would Come up, you would. Yeah. yeah. I will smack the out of him, son. Like that? Like, for real. Yeah. If the president showed up at this march, what would you do, sir? Beat his, Beat his What's that? I'd on his leg. If he goes out here, I would tell his wife to go home and for him to get on his jet and get the out of here too. Yeah, an anti-hate march. You got people there that have said some stuff that I think also might cross some legal lines, folks. Uh, we've got Benny Johnson of The Daily Caller with us now. It's been like Benny Palooza in the Freedom Hut lately, Benny. Good to have you back. <laughs> Thank you, Buck. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So I was telling the folks before, I just took some video and some photos. I did not interview folks because I don't really know how to do that on my iPhone. You've got to show me some of these, uh, these, uh, these ninja skills that you have. Um, but what was it like for you? I mean, what was the craziest stuff that you saw that you were told that you picked up? And, and why do you think the Washington post only showed people with like garlands of flowers around their necks or whatever with anti-hate signs? Right. So you would, you would think that. Wait, you got to speak up into your phone, buddy. We can't hear you. Sorry. better. Sorry about that. Yeah, now we can hear you. Go ahead, buddy. Okay, so you would think that if you read, you would think that this was like the Beatles meeting the Maharishi uh, of a march if you were to actually read the headlines of CNN and Washington Post. No one seemed to understand the fact that there was a paramilitary force that was embedded within these progressive protesters, and this paramilitary force was armed. Uh, They were members of Black Bloc, Antifa. They were members of anarchist groups. But ultimately, they were uh, dangerous. They wanted to commit violent acts. They did commit violent acts against police. They were arrested by the dozen. And what I wanted to reveal was how they would have treated the president were the president to have shown his face at this march. Of course, you and I both know that's not something that was going to happen. However, what would they do if they met President Trump? And volunteering to me, Buck, I'm not tricking them into saying, do you want to kill the president? I had nothing to do with the sort. I, they volunteered to me, Buck, that they wanted to murder President Trump. Not just murder him. They wanted to kill him like Gaddafi was killed uh, when the Libyan leader was 
taken out and, and beaten and tortured and then killed in the streets. Uh, so what I chose to reveal here, or what I attempted to reveal, and they gave it to me on a silver platter, was the true extremist and violent, ultra-violent element within these uh, quote-unquote peaceful uh, anti-hate protests. Now, I-, I saw signs that were anti-cop. I saw signs about revolution. I heard chants that were all cops are racist, we're overthrow the country, all, all this stuff. And Benny... Very little of, and actually none of that, made it into the photo arrays I saw in the New York Times, the photo arrays picked by the Washington Post. It's almost like they were sanitizing the left-wing loons who didn't turn up in twenty or in numbers like 20 or 30, like the white nationalist morons did. There were leftist loons in the hundreds, probably more like in the low thousands at that rally. Yes, correct. Yes, and, and how do they get away with this? I mean, how do they feel? You know, the Washington Post in these places, they think that we're not there. They think that we can't see what's really going on. Well, such confirmation bias. So if the, you're if you're protesting Nazis, that means you must be good. Right. But historically, that's not even historically accurate. The many people who protested Nazism or National Socialism in Germany were communists and they were violent. They are totalitarian. They're fascists. Fascists use violence and political intimidation to get their to to get ends, to silence speech, to compel speech of their political opponents, and to intimidate them. And then both groups use that. It's not both and. It's an either or. The Antifa leftist progressives that are ultra violent, they're scum, and the white supremacists are equally scum. And it's okay to say they're both scum. Uh, because they both use similar tactics, they've both pr- proven capable of violence, and they both have a uh, worldview that is not American. No, but did anyone, by the way, threaten you, or were you ever feeling like uh, this might go south for you? Yeah, so Daily Caller, so uh, other people on my team, uh, other Daily Caller reporters, uh, were uh, were found out to be to be. No one was doing this subversively, right? But sometimes they ask what outlet you're with, and if people are familiar with the Daily Caller, they know it was founded by Tucker Carlson. They need they associate Tucker Carlson with Fox News. That's all you need to do. And so members of our team were hit, uh, had their cameras pushed away, uh, were surrounded by groups. Uh, in the piece that I did, uh, one of the men who said he wanted to f up President Trump had a large knife. A, uh, a large switchblade down the front of his plant pants, easily visible. There were bats uh, with these masked Antifa members. They're wearing black masks over their face. They're, they again, a paramilitary force. They have military-grade equipment. They have helmets, metal helmets on, uh, uh, black pants, black military boots. These, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scary thing to be uh, encircled. By a group of people like this, Benny has uh, a Secret they, Service. Has a Secret Service got involved because you have people on video who are standing there and saying that they want to, they want to, they they want to assassinate the president. Is what I seem to hear them say. Am I missing something? The Secret Service uh, was on the phone with me for approximately fifteen minutes today, uh, asking about uh, any details that I have on the people saying they want to assassinate the president. And the Secret Service also confirmed to me that they are aware of these threats and that they are. Uh, opening a Secret Service investigation into these threats. Do you feel like, Benny, the, the decision was made very quickly yesterday 
not just to sanitize the coverage of the loony left at the protest and the dangerous left at the protest, but also just how quickly we've moved on from this. I mean, the, the Omarosa book is not nearly as interesting as I think a lot of people are pretending it is today, because that's the only other story that the Democrats have to run with to try to block this one out. Right. So, Buck, you saw we've got a we got a minute before we got to run a run a break, oh. Benny. Go ahead. Yep. So so here's because because the only person who would look bad if this was fairly covered is the left. You're going to have mute. The mainstream media is going to be mute. They're not going to say anything. They're not going to cover it. They're going to just pass along. Brian Stelter had a hilarious tweet last night calling them anti hate groups. Well, these anti hate groups were attacking journalists. They were attacking us. They were saying they wanted to murder their president. And now these anti-hate groups are being investigated by the Secret Service. Those are the facts. Yeah. And that's... it's incredible how quickly the mainstream media moved along. You and I both remember the Tea Party. It, all it takes is one, one imbecile with a silly sign at a Tea Party rally. And that's, that's news for months. That's right. That's right. And by the way, this is the real bias. It's not that they don't cover things. It's how, they, it's how CNN covers things. It's how MSC covers, uh, MSNBC covers things. Benny, great work, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate you uh, sending around that audio for me and others to use. Benny Caller of the Daily Caller. Benny Johnson or Benny Caller. Benny Johnson of the Daily Caller, everybody. Benny, my friend, good to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you, Buck. Team, we'll be right back. Whether you have a small business or you're involved with a huge company, maybe you're in the HR department, maybe you're the CEO, you know that the people you bring in, your human capital, are essential to your success. But you got to know if these people are who they say they are and and how they represent themselves is is accurate, right? You need somebody who can do that work for you quickly because that's going to be essential for your future as a company. And that's where Global Verification Network comes in. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified and veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. They're here in Chicago, folks. I know the CEO, Mark Buckman, personally. He's a great guy. He cares very much about what he's doing and about showing the utmost integrity and professionalism with every case that they handle. Call them and tell them that Buck Sexton sent you. 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com. That's what needs to happen to the party of Trump. It needs to burn to the ground. Is a total and complete violation of their oaths of office to defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. You see the Republican Party now, sadly, a portion of its base moving closer and closer to Russia. Left to their own devices, uh, they would just let Russia run wild uh, throughout our democracy and throughout uh, the democracies of our allies. Should Congressman Nunes be removed from his chairmanship of the House Intelligence Committee? Absolutely. He should have been removed a year ago when it was very clear that he was not working in the interest of Congress. If you look at Devin Nunes, you look at some members of the Freedom Caucus, uh, they remind me of the people that we conservatives used to call useful idiots. So much bad analysis when it comes to Russia, folks. It's really almost hard to keep up with it. The Republicans are now the party of Russia. You know, it would have been just as easy to say for a long time that the Democrats were the party of Al Qaeda. 
because they were doing a lot of things that made Al-Qaeda feel a lot better about themselves, including bashing Bush during a time of war, including uh, making a huge deal out of every misstep in the war, whether it was Abu Ghraib or waterboarding or all this stuff. The Democrats were very useful to Al-Qaeda for a long time. And, oh, before people start running around saying, but Obama took out Osama, uh, that was only possible because of programs put in place long before Obama came into office, part one. Part two, do you know that they did everything that they could to make it seem like the information, which has been released, by the way, a lot of it has been released, from the Osama bin Laden raid, they really lied to the public about it. And I don't just mean the media, I mean the Obama administration. They were misleading the public to make it seem like, you know, Osama was this uh, was this figure that was, you know, irrelevant, had no idea what was going on. It wasn't true. Wasn't true. Uh, They didn't want people to realize, I think, just how much jihadist activity was really going on. And the role that Osama had in pushing strategies around the world with our jihadist enemies. So, uh, but yeah, you could have very, just if they're going to say the Republicans are the party of Russia, we could very easily say that the Democrats were the party of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And when you look at the actual policies that are in place now on Russia, as I've been saying, and and I know I, I don't like repeating myself on the show. I don't want to waste any of your time ever. Um, That's a mandate that I feel that I I make the best use of every minute that you give me of your time every day on this show. But they keep saying this on Russia because they're hoping that the repetition itself will overcome the reality and that people will start to believe this. That if they chant and bleat and yell and cry enough that Republicans are the party uh, of Russia... Um, that people will start to really believe it, and I think that has been happening. Meanwhile, in, in what way is that the case? What are we doing that Russia likes? We're sanctioning Russians more than ever. We've expelled Russians. We've shut down Russian consulates in this country. We've shut down Russian facilities. We've blown up hundreds of Russian paramilitaries in Syria and didn't think twice about it. We've sent sniper rifles and anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainian military to fight against Russian paramilitaries in eastern Ukraine. Where exactly? Oh, okay. Because Trump won't just lay down and take it on. Oh, yeah. Russia through the election, which is a preposterous, a ridiculous assertion for which there, there's this tiny little, little little grain of possibility in the sense that, you know, if, as I keep telling you, if there's one fraudulent vote cast in an election, was there voter fraud in that presidential election? The answer is yes. Do you have to say every time you say who won that election? Well, there was voter fraud in that election. There was voter fraud in that election. It's a propaganda trick that they're engaged in with Russia and the interference. Well, there was interference. Very little, and it didn't do anything. And it's really a slight against the American people that the Democrats are so willing to believe that we were fooled, that the Trump voters were fooled. I wasn't fooled by anything. The options were Trump or Hillary. I don't care what the Russians are putting on Facebook. I'm on Team Trump. Amazing, though, to see all this happening. You know, that's they, they speak about Trump and they say he's a useful idiot or other people supporting him on Russia are useful idiots. I mean, Joe Scarborough's really one of the worst TV analysts around right now. I'm sorry, you don't get to go from being Trump's brunch buddy to being hashtag resistance hero in a year 
when it's clearly just a function of professional self-interest. That, that's why Scarborough switched, switched teams and have anybody take you seriously, at least on an ethical level, on a, on a level of, of intellectual honesty. And the guy's a clown. But they're saying all of this. Meanwhile, this is what this is what Trump is up to. Play eighteen and nineteen. If conflict is forced upon us, we will fight and we will win. Better believe it, generals. We're the guys. We're powered by the unstoppable force of the United States Army. Very special. We will replace aging tanks, aging planes and ships with the most advanced and lethal technology ever developed, and hopefully we'll be so strong, we'll never have to use it. But if we ever did, nobody has a chance. After years of devastating cuts, we're now rebuilding our military like we never have before, ever. Because we know that to survive and having that survival of our freedom. It depends upon the might of our military. And no enemy on Earth can match the strength, courage, and skill of the American Army and the American Armed Forces. Nobody's even close. They never will be. You know, a president who speaks that way doesn't strike normal Americans who are just listening to and and paying attention to what's going on as somebody who is favorable to or or helping Russia. A president that speaks about his country that way and does it without feeling like it's forced. I mean, you know that Trump does respect the military. You know that Trump really believes in U.S. power abroad. Yes, to protect us and also to to pursue U.S. interests. And, And not, you know, the U.S. as some humanitarian police force running all over the world all the time. Syria strikes a separate issue. Fulfilling Obama's red line is different. I had Obama's national security advisor sit down with me, his former national security advisor, well, his former President Obama, and he admitted that the red line thing in Syria was a complete debacle, a complete and utter debacle. And, you know, Obama just didn't have the stomach for tough national security decisions, didn't have it, and clearly took a view of America as oftentimes damaging in the world and and not a country that you can look to and expect leadership from needs to there needs to be a a multilateral collaborative collective if you will effort at global leadership from all these different countries that that was always the obama approach and and it failed but i just I, i i can't imagine why these liberals who keep banging the russia drum don't get that we see trump building up the military his support for the military his his belief in American strength across the board. And this is a guy who just exudes. I mean, he's just he's just got patriotism uh, written all over everything he says. I mean, he's he's so pro-America and they're telling us that he's actually pro-Russia. It just doesn't work. We're not going to buy it because it's not true. But they stay on this because it makes them feel good. And, and they know it's a it's a snide childish, nasty little schoolgirl tactic to say, oh, he's, a, he's, he's doing all this stuff for Russia. It, it's such bad analysis. And, and people who say it, honestly, at this point, they're, they're posers. They're people that don't know anything about geopolitics or the way the world actually works. But 
They know that their friends will think they're smart if they talk about Trump and Russia in the same sentence. It's pretty pathetic. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. I had to protect myself and I have no regret about it. Let's listen to the recording. I think it's important to understand that if we make this a friendly departure, um, we can all be, you know, you can look at look at your time here in, in uh, the White House as a year of service to the nation. Uh, and then you can go on without any type of uh, difficulty in the future relative to your reputation. How did you take that comment about your reputation? It's very obvious, a threat. He's, he goes on to say that things can get ugly for you. The chief of staff of the United States, under the direction of the president of the United States, threatening me. Omarosa, folks. The Omarosa show is in town. Man. She is all over the place, all the different shows. She's got a book coming out. You know, there's a lot of stuff where I could say, I, I get why the president's in this position or, or you know, you, you got to give him, you got to give him a little slack. He's dealing with this or the other. The Omarosa, though, I mean, my producer Mike, am I being too hard on him here? I, I just, this one to me, it's not a big deal. She doesn't have anything because there's nothing to have. All this stuff, she, you know, this is just like Fire and Fury. She wants, I think that guy made $20 million, by the way. She wants something like that uh, out of this. And producer Mike, I feel like, you know, this is just not, this is just not a decision that I would have made. Is that fair to say? Ah, uh, very fair. Yeah. I mean, you know, Omarosa, really? Yeah. I mean, she's, she's not just a reality TV show star. She's like the, she's the villain of a reality TV show. Ah, uh, anyway, it's it's just disappointing to see that this White House has to deal with this. But okay, so l- let's let's get into a little. See, you notice I didn't start the show with this today. I know people are all, oh my gosh, Omarosa, and they're getting all all fired up, all excited about it. I don't see this as anywhere near as interesting as a lot of other people do. I think that everyone's gotten way way too intrigued by the uh, Omarosa scenario, um, and it's anything that bashes Trump. You see this now, right? If you show up. If you're a walk in from the street and you're like, I've got a videotape of Trump, you know, doing crazy, weird sex stuff with a bunch of green Martians in outer space, they're going to, you know, the producers from these shows are going to sit down and at least talk to you. You know, they're going to say, well, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, Trump does like Martians. I mean, it's possible. There, there's there's nothing that they would put beyond the president and there's nothing that they're not willing to pretend at least is believable about this president as long as it's negative. And you see a lot of that with, with the Omarosa recordings. But her whole thing here is like, he's threat- he's threatening me. Oh, he's threatening me with this. That sounds like every person that I've ever heard of anywhere getting fired, that's how it goes, right? The, hey, you know, look, we, you can leave, you can resign, and we all kind of part on relatively, uh, if not positive terms, at least they, they were giving her an oppor- opportunity to save face. That's what they were doing. That's what John Kelly was doing, who is a no BS kind of guy, right? So he's saying, look, if you leave now, we can we can all just kind of move past this and, and you get to claim this year you had in the White House as a victory. If you have dragged this out and you fight us, then things are going to be rough for you. That's not a threat. That's a statement of fact. And that's not unusual for the White House. She goes, well, there he is in the White House saying these terrible things to me in the Situation Room. 
This is the woman who brings a recording device into the Situation Room. And can everybody stop saying, oh, she might go to prison? Guys, it's not illegal to bring a recording device into the Situation Room, okay? It's not illegal to bring a recording device, period, into a skiff. It's a security violation. And if you record classified onto an unclassified device, that could be a crime. Uh, certainly, if you transmit it, it could be a crime. But just to be in there, I mean, if that were the case, every person that's ever walked into a secure facility with a cell phone on, which is pretty much everybody who's ever had a clearance, I think, for what I know, if you're if you're in the you know if you're in the organizations of national security long enough, you would have committed a crime. I mean, that's it's not a crime to have it on you. It's just incredibly. Uh, disrespectful, irresponsible, and, you know, usually people do it accidentally, obviously, to do it intentionally. And then to record in there is just reckless. But keep in mind, I'm, I'm Omarosa. By the way, Mike, I, I hear it both ways. It's Omarosa, not Omarosa, right? Yeah, I always said Omarosa. Omarosa, right? Yeah. yeah. I feel like she would correct you. No, no, darling. <laughs> it's Omarosa. Yes. You know, like that, you definitely would. With that air of entitlement she yes, speaks with. Sort of, I've never heard somebody so affected in her when she's sitting up there giving the interview i'm like is this did somebody teach her to present herself as uh as almost like uh you know a a bond villain is this really the way that she <laughs> do you ever notice in her interviews you know how as you conduct interviews there's a back and forth and she'll say when she's not quite done speaking and the other person just starts to talk she goes excuse me i'm almost done <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, she's very like... That's my no, favorite no. when she does that. She reminds me of my friend who who, uh, who worked at CNN who told me that once he called Christiane Amanpour. Christiane Amanpour! Called her Christine Amanpour. She's like, excuse me, excuse me. It's Christiane. Instead of just like that. I feel like Christiane and uh-huh. Omarosa would get along very, very uh, well. well. If I ever miss Miss Amanpour, meet Miss Amanpour, I'm definitely calling her Christine. I got no Oh, definitely call her Christy. Call her Chrissy. She <laughs> loves that. Be like, hey, Chrissy, what's up? Uh, anyway, so yeah, man, this, this Omarosa thing, the, the whole making the big deal out of Kelly firing her, uh, of course she should have gotten fired. You know, I think Trump, one of his weaknesses, I'm going to say it, folks, after I take a sip of water, because that can be necessary, one of his weaknesses is... Except I, I think he wants to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I've known other people like this. He really does like to give people a second chance. And he likes to be in a position to help people who have come to him, who have said, you know, mea culpa, I'd like to do better in the future. Now, you might say, Buck, that's not a weakness as a, as a human being, but it can be a weakness in business. And certainly you're dealing at the high stakes of government here at the high end of government. Uh, that can be that can be a problem. Um, but people have been asking some questions of Omarosa, like, hey, you're saying all this stuff, and uh, you're claiming the president used racial slurs, which, by the way, I do not believe for a second. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I also, uh, having grown up in New York, known the Trumps when I was a little kid, and been around that family, there is nothing bigoted about the Trumps. Trump is not a bigot. He's a New York guy. He takes people for who they are, for what they are, doesn't care about any of that stuff. That's just not, he's not a, there's this thing they try to make him out to be, which is a person that is always judging people by skin color or anything. That's just a lie. Um, Omarosa, though, was, was, well, let let me deal with this first. She talks about the possibility of Trump saying racist things. Play clip four. Because you said um, that the betrayal, the idea that he might have used this word, um, 
that it would be this betrayal because you thought it would men, mean that he might have used it about you. Oh, Do absolutely. you believe he used it about you? Possibly, because Donald Trump talks about everyone behind their backs. You leave the room, Chuck, he has a nickname probably for you. He has a nickname for everyone in his administration and in his circle. So I am pretty certain that he's probably said some very derogatory things about me. In fact, yesterday, on this moment before Charlottesville, the anniversary of Charlottesville, instead of talking about how to unify the nation, he actually insulted me by calling me a lowlife. That is a man who is inclined to start racially charged engagement and use race to kind of stir up his base. Wow. Look at all of the dishonest and really underhanded stuff Umarusa manages to get in there. First of all, saying that somebody possibly called you a racial slur is uh, this is the defamation equivalent of who are three people who have never been in my kitchen? I mean, yeah, anybody could have possibly said anything. So, I mean, what a, you know, this is worse than, you know, when did you stop beating your wife, sir? This is, is it possible that at some point in the future you may beat your wife? Well, anything is possible. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's possible, right? You have to answer theoretically, yeah. Did, did Trump call you a racial slur? Well, I think it's possible. And then the other part of this, too, is that she ties herself into the national conversation around Trump and Charlottesville and the, the white nationalists and all the rest. I mean, she she she, she thinks that somehow that's, you know, the Trump calling her a lowlife is related to or, or should be in the same conversation in the same breath of air as the Charlottesville anniversary. I mean, th- she is utterly and completely Shameless. And the media was willing to say that a while ago. And they certainly criticized her as people criticized her for being inauthentic when she joined the Trump administration. They criticized her for being a a a social climber, I guess, in a sense, a government climber. But uh, and now they're all, oh, let's have let's have Omarus on to discuss all of this. Um, I, I've got a little more here because I, I think there's something there's something bigger at work with the, the media narratives around all of this, and, and I want to spend some time on that with you. So we'll, we'll do some Omarosa Part 2 coming up. On this phone conversation, I was told exactly what Donald Trump said. Yes, the N-word, and others in a classic Trump goes nuclear rant. But that's not what she said in her interview with Morning Edition. And once I heard it, you heard you have heard this tape. I heard this tape. You heard the president of the United States. The president of the United States use not only the N word, but as Bill Pruitt described during that interview, other horrible things during the production of The Apprentice. You don't mention that in the book that you've actually heard the tape. Is this new? Oh no, it's mentioned in the book. Forgive me, though, that sounds like you just heard his account of the tape. Did you actually hear the tape? I did. Did you miss this whole book? Girl, did you read my book? She did read the book. So did I. It's not there. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy here with what Omarosa said and what's in the book, apparently. And, of course, the the allegation here that Trump used the N-word, I mean, this is supposed to be something that the media is going to push as much as they can until it's discredited because they know there'll be lasting damage 
just from the allegation. This is meant to besmirch the president of the United States, and they don't care that it will never be corroborated, that Trump can't disprove this, and you really got a sense of what's going on here with Omarosa saying he possibly said it. Well, no, she said here in that, in that remember, that was the audio book, right? I guess that was the audio book that was being read there, that she heard him say it. Well, if, if, if someone heard you say something, and then was asked, did this person say it? The answer is not possibly. It's, yeah, that's what happened. But that was not the way that uh, Omarosa handled the situation. That was not the way that she decided to uh, go forward. I mean, I, th- I think there's a pretty obvious degree of, of dishonesty with her. We all know that. Um, but she's useful for Trump bashing now, and so she will be given, she already has been, the biggest platforms, and all kinds. But this brings you back. Well, there's also the the whole fact that the recordings so far are pretty mundane. And I have to I have to say this woman's willing to go in the situation with John Kelly and record him. The best she could do is what we've heard so far. Here's she recorded Trump. Uh, here's what here's what he said about her firing and what was known about it. Play clip six. Well, Marosa, what's going on? I just saw on the news that you're thinking about leaving. What happened? General Kelly, General Kelly came to me and said that you guys wanted me to leave. No, I, I, nobody even told me about it. You know, I think that's Trump trying to be like, hey, you know, it's not my, I had no idea. You know, he knew, he knew. But this goes into that category of being, you can call it a lie if you want. The media will certainly say he's lying, although they can't prove what he knew when he knew it. But there's also a degree of lying that is necessary for being polite. Trump is trying to be polite here. He's he's not, in fact, uh, you know, being nasty. He's not trying to be evasive or or unfair to Omarosa, I think he's just trying to say, like, yeah, you know, I guess we can still be friends, because I didn't know about that. And then there's also the Omarosa's role in this whole thing, and how she comes out now, and it just seems so self-involved and so so self-interested to be this anti-Trump hashtag resistance uh, figure now that she has a book out. Although I know, do you hear her, Mike? She's like, I've had several books. Yeah, all those true literary masterpieces, you know, Omarosa by Omarosa. Uh, but, you know, she's she's cashing in, obviously, and, and it raises some questions about well, what was uh, what are really her motivations here? I mean, she's so shady. The whole thing is so shady. Uh, play clip uh, seven, please. Being used by Donald Trump for so long, I was like the frog in the hot water. You don't know that you're in that situation until it just keeps bubbling and bubbling. It's clear in hindsight, because hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty. But as I talk about in Unhinged, you get to see from 2003, when I first met Donald Trump, the evolution of a very unique relationship between he and I. And I talk very, very intimately about the things that he said, his, his pledge to do more for the community, his as I said, investment in my own career. But what I know now, I didn't have the benefit of in 2003 or 2004 or 2010. And so, yes, it is hindsight. 
But I will say this to you. I was complicit with this White House deceiving this nation. They continue to deceive this nation by how mentally declined he is, how difficult it is, it is for him to process complex information, how he is not engaged in some of the most important decisions that impact our country. I was complicit, and for that, I regret. This is like uh, when that guy... Richard Clark, who was like the counterterrorism czar, comes out and, and was apologizing to America for 9-11 when he was writing books critical of the Bush administration. Well, isn't that convenient? You're not really apologizing, right? I mean, she doesn't really think she's complicit. She just has to say the things that she believes is required of her by the media to get on the platform she wants to sell her book. And you'll notice also, oh, yes, Trump's mental decline. Trump says racial slurs. It's like she wrote a book, folks. And this is really what I'm trying to draw all of us to here. It's like she wrote a book that was just whatever allegations and accusations she would know that the anti-Trump media would jump at and wanted to just tick them off one by one and then throw it together in some book that there'll be no verification of these claims. There'll be no back backstories or backstopping of this information. It'll just be, well, Omarosa said this by the book. And it hurts Trump, so the media goes along. And this, my friends, is yet another chapter in our book of why we don't trust the media 101. Do you think that anybody could have written a book bashing Obama and gotten on the Sunday shows as Omarosa has with Trump? We all know the answer to that. The bias is very, very real. Uh, We have a, a big third hour coming up, including the possibility of Facebook giving information on you to your banks and the banks doing the same. Sounds pretty big brother. That's coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Their business is surveillance. They capture everything. And what's particularly galling about this issue with the banks is it's not like they're going to offer a new service. As a, as a uh, consumer at a bank, you have access to web services to allow you to get all the stuff you want. But Facebook wants to get that data because with that data, they're going to know a lot more about you and they're going to be able to manipulate your attention to their economic benefit. And they're going to be able to use that data with third parties to get paid as well. And so my advice to everyone is... If by some reason your bank chooses to go along, do not do this. This is just a really, really bad idea. My simple point to everybody is that the days of trusting tech companies to do the right thing are in the past now. And we all have to approach this stuff with skepticism. You know, folks, I've been saying for a long time that the Internet is the greatest surveillance tool ever devised, ever even imagined, because... We are doing the surveillance really ourselves, in a sense. We are, we are offering up all of the information that these companies could ever want on us. The profile of what you like and don't like, what you do, your habits, your day-to-day rhythm that Facebook and these other companies have, this, this is beyond anything that marketing and advertising companies and even government surveillance would have thought was possible 40 or 50 years ago. 
maybe even 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, this is changing so rapidly. I mean, now that that, that soundbite we just played for you was about Facebook trying to partner with Wall Street's biggest banks. This is a piece up in Barron's. Quote, the social media giant has asked large U.S. banks to share uh, share detailed financial information about their customers, including card transactions and checking account balances as part of an effort to offer new services to users. Um, and uh, this is the Wall Street Journal also reporting on this. Uh, th- folks, this is... This is something that we need to be uh, very prepared for because I think it's going to happen. So Facebook is telling the the banks, if you give us your data, we'll give you our our users. And because because here's the thing, when Facebook, they, they know what you like to click on. They know what you like to like, what you share, what you do different things with. Uh, but the most valuable information they can really have is what do you buy? What do you spend money on? How much money do you have in the bank? And what kind of investments or other activities you do financially? You know, you really have to wonder, though, at what point do they have access to everything? Uh, what point do you come to recognize, I think, that Facebook is going to be able to come up with a profile of each and every one of us in time that would be more than most of our close friends know about us. Maybe even, in a sense, more than you know about yourself, because it's going to be analyzing. It's going to be using algorithms to go through everything that you do. And as I've been saying, we've had an awakening recently, because now we have an understanding that Facebook is going to use its power not for good, but for and not even just for capitalism, which that that I can kind of handle. Capitalism is rational. Trying to make money, there are certain certain barriers, certain boundaries that are in place. You know, if you completely screw over, excuse me, it's been a long one. <clears throat> if you uh, completely mess up your customer base, you're going to have problems. So it's not like you can get away with doing absolutely anything. But if you are pushing a point of view, if you believe that your purpose is not so much just to make money because you've already made so much money, Facebook is a highly capital efficient business. It is essentially a giant ATM at this point. They could always just, you know, issue more shares and you know, put the stock out there and everything else. They, they can raise whatever money they want to raise. I mean, they, they got as much money as any company could ever need for any reason. What happens when some of these companies decide that their purpose is really social justice? Or, and I think this is more of what's been going on, what happens when we start to see these companies just telling us that they're operating more or less as utilities, but behind, you know, so that, so that it's just whatever gets posted and all that, it's a free-for-all, for the most part, within the general guideposts of their terms of service. What happens when they start changing this information, when they start changing what they're doing behind the scenes? We have no idea. You have no transparency into this. You have no uh, way of knowing or even understanding, quite honestly, these algorithms. And, and that Facebook has, has gotten in trouble for all this privacy stuff. You know, I, I know that for some of the folks listening in the, in, the, uh, in the generation that grew up without the Internet and that also probably sees a lot of social media still as just a, a fun way for people to waste some time and maybe now buy some stuff if you really want to. 
this is media in the future. This is going, it, it's all going to be digital. It's all going to be online and connected. There's going to be the Internet of Things, and there's going to be the Internet of People. You know, the Internet of Things is all of our interconnected devices, right? So your smartphone connects to the knee bone. The knee bone connects to the leg bone. No, you know what I mean? The, the smartphone connects to the thermostat, which connects to the front door, which connects to the TV. Which, But you also have all of us, the people, the Internet of, of, of People and, and identity and your online presence and your online you know, your online footprint. These are going to become very important going forward. This is going to be how people, by the way, get already more, more than is already happening now. People are going to be getting jobs uh, based on how they present online because they're just going to have so much competition. Maybe you'll still get a face-to-face interview. Sure, I get it. People want to meet, but there's not going to be such a focus, I think, on, oh, well, you know, where, 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 what were your grades like and where do you go to school? They're going to look at, you know, who you are online, what your social media has been, what you're saying, what you're doing. And the possibilities for political manipulation with all this are vast, are vast. And now that you've got Facebook saying, you know, we, we just want to we want some financial data. And by the way, they're going to give the banks as an exchange all the stuff they know about you which will be very useful for banks' purposes in terms of marketing and maybe partnering with other companies and corporations. So, so we need to figure out what the reality is here. I, here's what I think. I think most folks have decided that privacy is dead, that everything you do online is essentially public in one way or another because somebody's transferring it, somebody's in charge of it, and somebody can sell it. They can collect it and then use it for their own purposes. I think that a lot of Americans have just taken the position that, you know what, this isn't going to change. So we might as well just lean into it a little bit and make as much money off of it as uh, as we can and get as much utility out of it, get as much use out of it for a lot. I mean, it depends. Some of us operate businesses online. Some of us are just engaging with these platforms. Uh, but this raises very interesting questions. You know, it also, I, I think, changes a lot of human behavior. I think it changes the way that we view each other. I think it's been terribly uh, damaging for political discourse, and it's only going to get worse, in my opinion, but we shall see. Facebook teaming up with the big banks, though. Talk about too big to fail, my friends. I talk about Simply Safe Home Security a lot on this show because it's a fantastic security system. It's really easy to use, and, and I've got one at home. I can tell you it is so straightforward. It comes out of the box. You'll have it set up, connected to your Wi-Fi in minutes. And I'm not the only one who thinks it's a great company because Simply Safe is now valued at a billion dollars. I've known the Simply Safe guys for a long time. They really understand what the core of their business is. They're trying to protect people, protect their homes, and do so in a way with great customer service, no long-term contracts, and cover you top to bottom A to Z. You get protection against intruders, fires, leaks, burst pipes, everything. And you're in control. You can even download an app as I have. And see what's going on with your home while you're away from home on the Simply Safe app. So check it out. Order your Simply Safe system now. My listeners get free shipping and free returns. Visit simplysafe.com slash buck. That's simplysafe.com slash buck to protect your home with Simply Safe today. Simplysafe.com slash buck. Guten Tag and hello, everybody. It's time for an update from the Kaiser of New York City, Mayor Wilhelm de Blasio, 
How many of you even know that Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, formerly close confidant of Hillary and Bill Clinton, at one point, somebody who would have thought he could run for national elected office, but I think everyone realizes that's crazy. De Blasio's name was Warren Wilhelm until his 20s. But he did not think it would be easy to win the elected office when your name is Warren Wilhelm, and so he decided that it was time for him to change the name to Billy de Blasio. But anyway, Billy de Blasio. Hey, Billy de Blasio from Bronx. He's out there, and he is making the case. At a time when we are hearing so much about the need to defend press freedom, the need to defend our, our free press, Bill de Blasio is out there arguing openly for a political monoculture in the press. That's right, going after the only cable news outlet that can punch back and that can represent the views of, oh, about 50% of the American people, Fox News. Here's what he said. Mayor Bill de Blasio joins me now here uh, on set. Uh, Mayor, thanks for coming over. Thank you, Brian. What is your critique of Murdoch? Uh, You were quoted recently by The Guardian saying, imagine the country if Murdoch had never had papers or networks here. Right. We would be a more unified country. There would be less overt hate. There would be less appeal to racial division. I guarantee it, because what... Murdoch did through Fox News and the New York Post, among others, is to create a dynamic where that stuff could come out in the open. We saw it in New York City for years and years, Hmm. where uh, race was infused into the dialogue in a very negative way, and it was a, a sort of an apocalyptic vision was created of the notion of going back to a time of crime and decay and always putting that through a lens of people of color as the villains. Uh, whether you're talking about Central Park Five or uh, so many other instances, certainly you saw that around the election of David Dinkins in New York, the way mm. he was vilified by the Post throughout his mayorality. Let me just jump in here to say that I, as a native New Yorker, remember the Dinkins era, and I do not remember any of the racial animus toward the mayor of New York that Kaiser Wilhelm de Blasio is mentioning here. Uh, I remember a city that had far too many homicides. I remember a city that was being uh, run roughshod over by criminals and was completely out of control, and police did not feel like the city had their back. And, you know, I remember going home from school and having to be really concerned about getting mugged. And I I wasn't paranoid. The school was telling us to be concerned. We were told when I was a kid to take off, because I went to a Catholic school, We were told to take off our jackets and our ties on our way home so we were less likely to be mugged. Let me tell you something. That did not have any preventative effect, uh, but that's what they said. We had to station a security guard on our block so that we wouldn't have kids getting uh, mugged, beat up, attacked, have their stuff stolen from them as soon as they walked out of the school building. And that was in a nice neighborhood in New York City. I mean, this was New York in the early 90s, folks. It was a wild place in all the worst ways. Dinkins was the mayor. Is he not supposed to be blamed for the city being in terrible disarray? Giuliani came in and things got a lot better. Giuliani came in, all of a sudden the crime wave receded. And now de Blasio is in a position where, thanks to Bloomberg before him, the city is so, relatively speaking, well-run and safe that even an idiot like de Blasio couldn't ruin it. But, of course, he immediately, in his little pretense as a social justice warrior, the mayor of New York blames Fox News, while he's on CNN, no less, for inciting racial division. 
It's like, does he realize that there were race riots under the previous presidency, by the way, and CNN was covering those race riots with with just no integrity or journalistic responsibility whatsoever, in my humble opinion. Feeling that de Blasio doesn't have much to say about that, but he, he says more. Farther than that. They put race front and center and they try and stir the most negative impulses in this country. There is no Donald Trump without News Corp. I firmly believe that. He never gets to the presidency because he would never have been elevated the way he was consistently for years and years. So I believe in a free, strong media with diverse views. I'll defend it with all I got. But we have to be able to call out when a particular company has a corporate agenda, has a political agenda, and has very effectively changed the American discourse. Oh, yeah, that's right, folks. Kaiser Wilhelm believes in a bit of censorship, yeah? He believes in a free and diverse and open press, except for the one news outlet that's effective in counter-messaging on TV. Except for the one place where, as a conservative, you can turn on the news and not be constantly propagandized to, and not be forced to sit there and have a bunch of people sneer at half of the country, act like they know so much more than you, and present this bizarre, funhouse mirror version of the America that you know. They just can't get over it. Fox News is one channel. ABC is liberal. CNN is liberal. CBS is liberal. NBC is liberal. MSNBC is liberal. PBS is liberal. I mean, do I have to go through all of them? Liberal, 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 all over the place. There's one channel, and there'd be more channels, by the way, except that the politics of the different cable companies and the, and the content providers is such that they won't allow there to be additional channels. Oh, that's right. People say, oh, Buck, but what about One America and what about Newsmax? They're, they're in a fraction of the homes that all cable news uh, channels, uh, that all the other cable news channels have access to. Never mind ABC, CBS, and NBC having the vast built-in advantage of being at the very top of the, you know, the cable lineup. And they are dominated by liberals. Let's stop allowing them to get away with the lies here about how, oh, the press is balanced, the press is even. 90% of the press is Democrat. And of that 90% that's Democrat, a big portion are activists more than their journalists. I mean, you got a media reporter, Brad Stelter, hey, Brad Stelter, I have a show on CNN. I like to walk around all the time in a bunch of old man sneakers because I think it's cool. It's one of the few guys, he walks around in a suit with sneakers on all over CNN. I always thought that was so, like, really, man? I mean, I'm all for comfortable footwear, but. Yeah, I like to wear the sneakers and I do the show on Sundays. I remember once I tried to ambush Buck on terrorism. But he's really smart, and I don't know anything about it, and so we cut the segment and didn't even have the decency to tell him. Anyway, so I'm a media reporter, and I have in front of me Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, and I'm just not going to ask. I mean, it's the whole thing, man. It just drives me nuts. They're, they're trashing Fox News while trying to pretend that they're for an open press. What... I mean, I would want a real media reporter would ask Bill de Blasio, well, if you were if you were a Republican, what channel could you watch now and not feel not only that, that there was a lot of bias, but that you are essentially actively being insulted on a regular basis? If you're a Republican right now, what cable news channel is not insulting you constantly with its editorial line, with its, uh, you know, the analysts it puts on TV, the anchors it puts on TV? The answer is 
The only one that doesn't insult you is Fox. The others are just constantly insulting you. I mean, CNN is a joke. It's a laughing stock. So how about that as a question? You know, maybe that's worth asking. Well, I just want to sit here and bash Fox News because I hate Foxes. CNN has reporters whose full-time jobs, folks, right now, I know them, is to try and tear down Fox hosts, try to find dirt on them, try to get anything they can on them. They think that's journalism? That's just character assassination. And they're looking high and low to try to find anything because they can't compete in the ratings, they can't compete in the messaging. They're not for a free and open press. These people are going straight out of the totalitarian media playbook all the time and claiming that they are for a free press. They want to shut down all powerful voices of opposition in the media while saying that they're all about opposition voices in the media. They're clowns. They're jerks. It's completely ridiculous. And we should not let them get away with this pretense. And Bill de Blasio, who is a a straight-up nincompoop, by the way, really is, has no business weighing in on Fox or anything else. The fact that Bill de Blasio is the mayor of New York City and the city has not just caught on fire and burned to the ground yet entirely is a testament to the durability of the New York City left to him by Giuliani and Bloomberg and the fact that really anybody could be the mayor of New York now. It is so prosperous. But the subways in disrepair, there's some bad stuff going on too. But, but uh, de Blasio wants to get rid of Fox and wants to pretend that in getting rid of Fox, he's not engaging in censorship. Folks, th- these people do not want to debate. They don't want a battle of ideas. They want control and they want power. And that is what the left is obsessed with. Everything else is a lie, a pretense, or just another opportunity for hypocrisy. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. this amazing chart over the weekend and it's from a professor of sociology at uh, Cal State Cal State Los Angeles Bradley Campbell and he shares this chart and, and it's under the following headline this is all this is from Twitter if you've read all the Vox explainers but are still having trouble distinguishing racist microaggressions from woke social justice talk this cheat sheet might help and it is this fascinating little chart of statements and then in social justice world what these things really mean or what they're supposed to mean so the first one for example the statement is where are so it has a statement and then it it tells you microaggression microaggression or social justice talk good or bad and then true meaning so it breaks down different columns into these categories first statement where are you from microaggression bad because the true meaning of this is you are not a true american so according to the the sjw's where are you from is not something you're allowed to ask people because you're you're suggesting that they're not american of course maybe they're not american but you're not allowed to ask the next statement quote kill all men microaggression no this is social justice talk good or bad it is good and the reason is because the true meaning is it would be nice if the world sucked less for women. Hmm. So you can say kill all men, and that is not a microaggression. Where are you from, according to the social justice warriors, 
is a microaggression. Next one here. I believe the most qualified person should get the job. Bad. Microaggression. People of color are given unfair benefits because of their race, is what the true meaning of that phrase is. is. Um, So there you have that one. Another one. Cancel white people. Good. Social justice talk. Challenge the dominant power structure and culture, it says. So you can say that canceling white people is good. Killing all men is good. Uh, but you cannot say that you believe the most qualified person should get the job, according to this chart from Professor Bradley Campbell, uh, who's making fun of this, by the way. He wrote a book, The Rise of Victimhood Culture. But he, he gets it right here on these. I mean, these are, these are all situations. He actually has footnotes under them. These are situations where uh, the social justice left has weighed in on them. So he's not just coming up with this out of nowhere. Uh, quote, when I look at you, I don't see color, bad microaggression. What you're saying is assimilate to the dominant culture. So you you can't say you are colorblind under social justice talk. That's not allowed. You see, uh, you can't say that you don't see color because that's just telling people, oh, you have to be like the rest of us. White men are bull. Social justice talk. Good. Because a power structure that favors white men continues to exist. We got another one here. Why are you so quiet? Bad. Microaggression. Because that's really saying assimilate to the dominant culture. I don't even know how that I don't even know how that one they get to really. They're just assuming what what if what if someone's so quiet because they're depressed or there's something really wrong with them? I just don't see how how that's about. Well, I'm not a social justice warrior, obviously, which is why like, I totally need. I totally need this chart that can like, tell me like what the social justice warriors like, think about this stuff. So then I can think the same things, and I can think the smart things, and be like totally smart, and hang out, and go to the mall, and it'll be amazing. <sighs> and then another quote here, dumbass white people marking up the Internet with their opinions like dogs pissing on fire hydrants. That is actually a quote from the newly installed and defended editor of technology, at the New York Times. So this is considered good and social justice talk because, quote, non-white voices often don't appear or get drowned out in social media discourse. See, folks, what you notice in all this. I know it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but what you notice is that there's really no basic decency or basic standards that's being enforced here. It's just a leftist culture of victimology that is then weaponized into a hypocritical, uh, into a hypocritical means of, of policing speech for the purposes of transferring power from one group to another, uh, for the purposes of the consolidation of power on the left. Uh, but you can say nasty racist things to white people and that's considered social justice talk you can in fact ask very innocuous questions and be engaging in a microaggression even if you have no intention of doing so because the social justice left says so and you are not allowed to suggest that we are all just people who are equal in god's eyes and therefore race is irrelevant to your thinking Because if race is irrelevant to your thinking, why does the left have a justification for making race so relevant to theirs? 
So there you have it. A little bit of a uh, social justice warrior terminology cheat sheet for all of you. And with that, we now go to roll call. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Time for the roll call. Oh, yes, indeed. I had to say I had a great weekend in D.C. I had both of my brothers, my, uh, my fantastic brothers, older and younger, come down, spend the weekend with me. We had some great meals. We went on a little uh, tour of the, of the monuments in D.C., and uh, we just had a lot of fun. And, you know, family, man, it's, it's family's a wonderful thing. Uh, but the Sexton brothers, the three of us united in, in this swamp for the first time. My little brother went to Georgetown when I was at, at the CIA, so we used to hang out all the time. But older bro came down for this one. We had a lot of fun. All right, let's get to your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to be in on this action. First up, we have Daniel. Hey, Buck, love your show. Heard you on the Friday podcast mention the terrorist training camp for school shootings in New Mexico. You asked where we have heard this story except from you and Fox News. I read about it on Thursday on Jihad Watch, whose founder, Robert Spencer, was a guest on your show not long ago. There are some other sources on the Internet as well as Pamela Geller's site and many more who also had the story. My point is that these sources are available as well as your excellent show and Fox News. And I hope more conservatives seek out these places. We can counter the left. We will work a little, find more allies like you. And uh, they are out there. Keep up the fantastic work and shields high. Daniel. Well, Daniel, thank you. Daniel, thank you very much for the kind note. Uh, Very much appreciated and and, uh, great to hear from you. Aaron uh, writes, hey, Buck, I hope you're doing well. Huge fan of your show. I wanted to get in contact with you about having a special guest interview with award-winning speaker and author of A Call for Courage, Michael Anthony. Uh, I think he'd be a great guest for your program. I can send you a full background here. Uh, Okay, Aaron, uh, let me look up who this gentleman is. I've never heard from him, and um, I'll let you know if that's something we can do here. But thank you. I, I, I like recommendations. I like when people give me thoughts for guests, so feel free anytime. Peter writes, Buck, please start pronouncing Menards correctly. The accent is on the second syllable, not the first. I know, guys. You're <laughs> Peter, you're right. Everyone's been on me for this one. You know, once you get it in your, in your head the wrong way, it's so hard to get it right. So I, I know that it's Menards, but I keep saying Menards. 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 There we go. I think I've got it now. I'll, I'm going to try really hard to get it right. Uh, I didn't know what uh, Menards was until recently, so I, I learned something new. Evan writes, hey, Buck, I heard the roll call comment about the movie Range 15. Not only is a guy from Black Rifle in the movie, it's actually created by Matt Best and the Article 15 crew. Matt Best is Evan Hafer's business partner in Black Rifle. Article 15 uh, teamed up with Black Rifle. The reason they created the movie Range 15 is because of how wrong Hollywood gets military attire and most military-related material. They created it so that a real movie, a uh, real military movie by actual modern vets would be out there for the public. It's really a military zombie apocalypse-style movie, super vulgar and full of gore. Cool to see Iraq and Afghan vets get to play a role in the film. Definitely recommend you see it. Thanks, brother. Shields high. Well, Evan, thank you uh, for bringing this to my attention. I, I did not know about this movie 
uh, range 15. I will have to check it out. I know Matt Best and Evan Hafer pretty well. They're fantastic guys. Uh, you know, really, just really, really good dudes. And also they've got a great company, Black Rifle, one of our wonderful sponsors, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck, folks. Don't forget, that should be for all of you, the coffee that you are drinking. Do not drink commie coffee. Drink Black Rifle coffee. Uh, we have now um, Alex, who writes, very inspirational to hear that you had a speech impediment and now make a living talking. James Earl Jones also had a speech impediment, and look how successful he's been to keep up the great work from Alex. Well, Alex, thank you. And yes, I, I did, in fact, have a speech impediment when I was a kid. I spent a couple of years in speech therapy, uh, learning how to pronounce things properly. And now here I am, a syndicated radio host, filling for Rush and, you know, all the rest. And yeah, uh, so always, always, always stay in the fight, right? Or if you're going to talk to kids about it, tell them never, ever, ever, ever give up when you really want something, when you really want to achieve something. Um, Aaron writes, hey, Buck, Shields High. I haven't seen anyone talking about the failure of movie pass and how it illustrates why socialism generally and single-payer health care specifically are designed to fail. At first, a flat monthly fee got you into unlimited movies, but unexpectedly, that led to dramatic overuse and the system collapsed. Now MoviePass is rationing the number of free movies to which your flat monthly fee entitled you. It amazes me how people fail to understand the basic realities of economics and scarcity of goods and services. Keep up the good work! From Aaron in Chicago. Aaron, I know nothing about MoviePass except what you've told me here in this note. So thank you for bringing this to my attention. And uh, I appreciate you using the opportunity to tell us a bit about MoviePass. Brittany writes, thanks, Buck. You mentioned a pistol chainsaw bayonet, and now my boyfriend wants one. He wants a picture of yours if you have one. I'm dying over here. Brittany. Um, in Britain, you know, a pistol chainsaw bayonet sounds awesome because think about it. There is such a thing, a modification for, I believe for AR, the AR rail system, a chainsaw bayonet. And it became famous after someone at USA Today put a chainsaw bayonet as a modification in a national news story that people, people use for assault rifles. But now think about this. You could have a mini chainsaw bayonet for your your sidearm, which pretty much would be useful, I think, for being a can opener, you know? So maybe it actually would be something that's pretty good. Uh, and yes, indeed. Um, thank you, Brittany, for writing. Sorry if I caused a little bit of a tumult there. Alex writes, Ocasio-Cortez is so dumb. Alex, I don't think I have anything to add to what you've written. I'm just letting you have your say. Rachel writes, hey, hey, Buck, uh, shields high. My husband had a question that I'm going to relay since he doesn't have a Facebook account. He was wondering why no one has called out the liberals on the fact that abortion, which they wholeheartedly advocate, is worse than separating children at the border. We all know the progressives are hypocrites, but why has no one brought this up to them before? Also, my husband, one-year-old daughter, and I drink raw whole milk every single day. Since it hasn't been pasteurized, all the nutrients and enzymes are still intact. However, since you do not normally drink it, all of the alive nutrients in it may have caused your stomach to hurt because it was cleaning out all the bad bacteria in your gut. I would encourage you to try it again, but in a smaller quantity and slowly build up to drinking more. 
The nutritional benefits of raw milk are phenomenal, especially since you have celiac disease. Keep up the great work on rising and with the upcoming Shields High podcast, Rachel and Jesse. Rachel, such a such a kind and and uh, thoughtful note here. Really appreciate it. Uh, as to raw milk, I don't know if I'm going to be making that making that uh, happen again anytime soon. Buck Buck's tummy was a little rumbly, rumbly tummy. Uh, it was rough rough couple of days, and you know when you're doing a morning TV show, real early in the morning, and you're doing it with a very nice lady sitting next to you at the table. You need you need your bowels to be behaving. That's all I can say, folks. You need to make sure that you keep it all together up there. Yep. Uh, here we go. Um, hold on a second. I'm I'm trying to find the next the next note here. William writes once again. Thanks for reading my note. Uh, I played it for my wife and kids. You made me feel important. Thanks, Buck, and God bless. Well, William, thank you for. Writing to me, you make me feel important. And you're the only reason I do this show every day. You and everybody else listening. It's the only reason I have a show. So thank you for, for all that you do for me. Cat writes, Buck, love the show. Heard you talk about checking out the series Battlestar Galactica. Highly recommend it, but make a promise to y- yourself to watch at least five episodes. The series is dark, deep, thought-provoking, and at times hard to follow, but very addictive. You'll find yourself hooked, and when you get to the series conclusion, you'll be left wanting more. Shields high, Kathy. You know, Kathy, I've got a friend that I trust. Uh, I think he's got good taste, and he tells me that Battlestar Galactica is the best TV show of all time, which seems like a crazy statement to me. I mean, really, Battlestar Galactica? But because he is so high on it, I am certainly willing to give it a shot, although I don't really know where to watch it. How I can get it on my TV, I'll probably have to figure that out, too. James, next up. Hey, Buck, I tuned in late today and heard the guy from Texas saying something about you and ostrich skin boots. Back in the 90s, when I was stationed around D.C., I went through an urban cowboy phase and bought an $800 pair of ostrich skin boots. I know I was single and stupid. I supersized myself over the years, and now they don't fit. I think they are 9.5 or 10 size. If you would, If it will fit you, I will send them to you. I don't have the heart to give them to goodwill. They're in great shape. Shields high. James, James, you are very kind for offering your uh, ostrich boots, but I'm sure uh, I'm, I think you'll find a better better pair of feet for them than mine. Um, I am not a, I am a very, uh, very particular about what I put on my feet. They have to be super comfortable. If I could get away with walking around all day barefoot or in socks, I would. Unfortunately, because, you know, I'm in D.C. and there are streets, I have to actually wear some form of actual shoe. That's going to be it for uh, the Freedom Hut today, my friends. Thank you, as always, for joining me here. I'm looking forward to a very robust week of shows. Don't forget, Benny Johnson joined me for the Freedom Hut po- uh, podcast last week. You can listen on iTunes or Stitcher.com or the iHeart app. Please do give it a listen. It's definitely worth uh, worth the 30 or so minutes. And until tomorrow, my friends, Shields high.